You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds? Where it's the same year, and you're the same person, but everything else is different. And what if you can't find your way home? Welcome back for another issue of Imagine If. We are here talking this week about the Dark Phoenix Saga. We're going to give you a 101 in case you haven't watched the Dark Phoenix movie yet. Or if you have and you want to know how it differs from the movie. To sum it up in one word, as Scott Summers would say, (laughs) That's true. It's it's very much so (laughs) what's going on here. Uh, So yeah, before we get to that, let's go ahead and talk about What's on the spin rack for this week? Oh, well, you know, I didn't introduce you guys. Chris. Hey, how's it going? And Rafa is here. Yay, and you know what? When we're talking about something as cosmic as the Phoenix Force, you know, introductions don't need to be made because we only have so much room for this cosmic bird. This is true. This is true. And we're all connected, right? So That's right. That's what, that's where it goes. You know, there's, there's one of us and then we're all of us. <laughs> this is true. I like that. Can't have you without us. Hey. Okay. <laughs> All right, so it's brand new comic book day, Wednesday, the 12th of June. If you go to your stores, here's some of the things I would suggest that you take a look at. Batman and the Outsiders issue two will be out. This will continue on the book and the team. Uh, There's a lot of new faces to the Outsiders, but hopefully this issue will grow more of that as well. Batman Who Laughs, part six of seven. That's right. This was supposed to be a six issue mini, but they're going to add an extra issue. So the laughs will continue. Uh, This is a great character. I I know, Rafa, you've been you've been reading this, right? I've been reading it. And it's 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 frustrating because, you know, for some reason, when it first came out, I thought it said five issues. Okay, I thought it said five. And so like a couple weeks back when the fifth issue came out, I was like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Nope, it's six. (laughs) And now it's seven. But you know what? That's fine. This story keeps getting more and more intense. So, like Ultimate Apex Predator, Evil Batman. That's, yeah. that's can't go insane. wrong there. So between Dark Knight Metal, the Batman Who Laughs, uh, the the Last Night on Earth. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're. I mean, we're essentially having our own bat enter the Batverse, like kind yeah. of thing. How many Batman are we going to have in the DC universe? Not that they're all in one universe, but like. But yeah, you have a lot of different versions. I mean, because even Batman Damned. Batman Damned, you know. I mean, uh, I feel like Grant Morrison gave us the incorporated team, and now they're going more into like, well, let's kind of do that, but let's build it off of different time loops of Batman. We lost Batfleck, now we have Bat. Rob Robertson. See, okay, so Patterson. Patterson. People are saying, are saying Battenson. I like our bats. I think that's our bats is good. I like our bats. I like that one. I like it's our not bats. bad, but I'm, I'm gonna take advantage of Battenson. Yeah, all right, yeah, I just love hey, it. Hey, that's that's he's got like an exclamation point at the end of it too. But, <laughs> but what makes this this comic so good is one, yeah, they have that, but they also have the Grim Knight, who's also in the story. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. Which is pretty Batman. cool. Yeah, but I mean, DC Metal was just. Exactly. Like, does it matter if it's silly? <laughs> does it matter if it's cheesy? Like, you can just put on a Judas Priest album and listen to it <laughs> and and just kind of go with the wreck. Because that's what it is. But the Batman Who Laughs, the cool thing about it is this is an enemy who everybody confuses. Oh, it's just the Joker is Batman. No, 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 no. It is a full-fledged insane Batman <laughs> with Joker Bruce qualities. Now, if you want the Joker as Batman, you, want, you read... Uh 
Oh damn! What did I? Why did I already lose it? The Joker's Batman. That um, White Knight. The White Knight. Yeah, Batman White, White Knight. Knight. Right. Yeah, Joker's the hero this time. That's right. Which we're getting a sequel. We're getting it's the coming sequel coming soon. And my character's gonna show up. <laughs> <laughs> That's all but, that counts. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm. I like this villain. I'm waiting for an articulate action figure of this villain. This is a scary villain. And whenever I think of this character, I'm always thinking like Halloween time. Mm. But the fact that it's happening right now, like in in where are we? We're in June. June. Yeah. We're in June. Yeah. Like wow. Nah, we'll see. Yeah, it's a little too hot to be wearing all that leather and, and spikes around your eyes. I don't think Batman Shit, sweats, no. though. I think he's, he's, I'm sure he's he does busy. it. He's too busy to sweat. Gotham City it's is probably... the city that is staying in eternal winter. It just moves like it troubles the season. I, I, would, I wouldn't doubt it if Bruce Wayne had his, like, sweat ducts, like, surgically removed. Yeah. He's like, can't, they, can't, they can't see me sweat. There's an AC unit in there. Yeah, they have to be. It has or to maybe, be liquid cooled. Or maybe he uses like a, like a lubricant, so like Ooh. his body kind of moves <laughs> swiftly through all of the, the leather slash metallic. I'm sure that was a alloys. that was a strange uh, conversation when he was learning from the League of Assassins. You must you jump into the Lazarus pit, so you get the grease. <laughs> <laughs> then you wear the ears and the but, nipples. <laughs> but seven issues. I'm I'm excited. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, I've been enjoying this series. Um, a lot of great stuff. So, I mean, I'm I'm definitely excited for the fallout. So, yeah, so definitely good stuff there. Pick it up, folks. Um, Catwoman issue 12 is out. So, yes, the you know, the, the companion book to Batman, but not necessarily something you got to read, but it's out there and it's been a year. So that's crazy because that means it's been a year since Bruce, or since Selena left Bruce at the altar. So that's crazy. It's been a year? Yeah, because 12 issues, I believe that was a monthly book. So, yeah. God. That's insane. Right? Because yeah. you're thinking back to the, pie, the, the, the round table. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Yeah, and that nuts self promotion. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, DC poster portfolio by Stanley Art Germ Lau, dude. This guy, his art, you've liked it, you've appreciated, it, you've saved it to your phone. So now DC Comics is finally putting it all together in a big poster book for you. Highly recommended. Great stuff from the gentleman. Uh, Detective Comics One Thousand will be getting a deluxe edition hardcover. Um, so yeah, this is gonna be the entire book, but with everything. All the covers, extra stuff, bonus features. So, I mean, uh, I, I kind of kick myself for not ordering it. So, I'll probably try to pick up a good deal somewhere. Uh, but everybody's going to have this. Like, everybody's going to be in it. So, everything that you saw was there, is there. But you get a bonus story by Robert Vendetti with Steven Segovia art. Uh, there's going to probably be another extra essay or two and good stuff like that. So, this could be a nice companion piece because Marvel Comics 1000 will be happening. And I'm very sure they're going to do a deluxe edition hardcover as well because we also have an action comics 1000 deluxe edition too so you know if you want to have a big shelf of 1000s there you go uh deadpool 1000 happened he didn't get a, a hardcover so maybe look for that <laughs> coming <laughs> um, and when they say hardcover are we talking dust jacket or this cool thing that dc's been doing where it's just an actual just a hardcover I don't know until like because they, they really haven't shown like on the, the article for it. It just basically shows the Jim Lee cover. Uh -huh. So I don't know if they're going to do that. Yeah, like it'll be the, the printed on hard cover or if it will have the dust jacket. And I prefer That's that. I'm not a big fan of the dust jackets. They just come off too easily. Yeah, no, you're That's right. That's a preference. Yeah, because it's well, but even then it's tough because when you read them, sometimes, you know, the, the, the oils and sweats from your hand messes up the dust jacket. So if it's fine art, then it's kind of like, damn, I screwed it all up. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I, I I do agree. I do like that when they make it a solid hardcover. I think that's great. So, yeah, there you go, DC Collected Editions. Give us our solid hardcovers. Please. <laughs> Um, speaking of Detective Comics, issue 1005 will be out. So this will continue some of the fallout from the Arkham Knight. We now know who she is. And now we're going to see more of what her mission is. 
um, event Leviathan. So yes, we're 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 square off of the. 80-page Leviathan Superman book. So now it begins. Brian Michael Bendis is going to bring all the detectives together and Green Arrow and Plastic Man, and he's going to have them go on a crazy case. So (laughs) we're going to see what happens in this one. Uh, This book has just got Mitch written all over it. So there's a lot of characters that I love. Yeah, you know, so this is going to be some great stuff. And then I I know you're going to be excited there, Rafa, too, because Talia Al Ghul, she actually gets mentioned in there. So there could be a lot of like, okay, what's going to happen? What's she going to be doing? I know I'm excited to read this one. I just want like four pages of just sultry action. I'm just Tali and Batman Sultry flirting. Action. So I'm like, oh, my back hurts. Like, I love you, Get some, Give me some of that bat grease. There's <laughs> uh, oh a new thing. Oh, God. Bat grease. <laughs> uh, Flash issue 72 will be out, and this continues on year one. That's right. Everybody's been old, so we've got old man Barry running around, so who knows if we're going to get to see more of him or not. Um, Justice League Odyssey number 10 Red Hood Outlaw number 35 now this is going to be a book I recommend you watch because the rumor is Jason Todd is Leviathan so with him really going out on his own and casting away the outlaws and the, the other heroes that he teams up with, he's kind of just, who knows what he's doing? Nobody's really watching his back. So this could be something to watch. Scott Lobdell is writing it. So he's a good writer. So I could see him definitely meshing very well. I've, with, heard, I've heard that rumor, but I just don't agree with it. I well, don't. the fact that it's been put into the comic book itself, it makes me think that it might not be. But at the same time, I could almost see it like... Why not? Why not do like a Jeff Loeb style thing? I mean, granted, yes, they didn't die. Yeah. But why not put the answer in front of you? And then you're just like, I don't want to believe it. I mean, that that definitely could be me. (laughs) You're describing. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, it doesn't fit, though. For me, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit for Jason Todd to be Leviathan. No, I feel like it's a step back in his character. I feel like we've seen that 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 guy already uh, back when. I mean, you can go to Battle of the Cow when he was running around as the evil Batman and just mm-hmm. like fuck it, I'm gonna kill everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, I I could see him working for Leviathan, but I don't see him being the head. Okay. I I feel like this is all just kind of the end game for what was set up in the beginning of Detective Comics that we had at the beginning of Rebirth, where we have Batman assembling his team, right? That's when right. Clayface, Batwoman show up, and mm-hmm. he's planning something. And I think even Tim asks, what are you planning for? What's coming up? Why Why are you so scared? So is Bruce? Bruce is going to be Leviathan? I don't think it's Bruce. I think it's Tim. I think when oh, Tim wow. supposedly wow. dies, right? At the, well, oh, evil Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Tim dies, and then, you know, but he's actually just taken away by, I think it was Oz. Yeah, yeah. Oz, Oz Mandy. I feel like, I don't know, maybe that changed his mindset and like realized Batman's way isn't going to work. And so I can I can see it being Tim. And maybe even he enlists Jason in some way to kind of take the heat off of him because that's something I feel like Tim would do. As far as move him away, like this is why all the Batman, peop- all, all the Batman villains get caught is because they don't do this or they don't do that. And so I don't know. I... I don't know if I would like it, but we're living in an era where Wally West is killing people. So this is true. So yeah, and you, you, you do have that extra Tim running around. Why not give him a purpose? So well, this is cool. Tim, Titans Tomorrow, Tim. That, that's my that's creative. I, mean, I, I, I could, you I could definitely see yeah. that. Like the way that uh, Tim took over in the Detective Comics as yeah. uh, as like de facto leader or like trying to put everything right and stuff like that. I could definitely be like, yeah, the future Tim was like, well. We can take this on a global scale. It's true. I mean, who do we have running around right now? Osmandius, who was another person that wanted to save the world. Mm-hmm. He's the smartest man on earth and mm-hmm. couldn't do it. 
he had to trick everybody. So maybe Tim's following those footsteps. Who knows? Yeah, it could be something, something pretty wild. Now, something actually that you made me think of that I forgot. Uh, Jor L is back as well. Not to say that he's Leviathan, but going back to the the Batman Who Laughs book that's going to spin out and they're going to make that Batman Superman book. I hope they have an arc that has Jor L and Thomas Wayne go up against Bruce and Clark. Ooh, I want that. Like, cool. Give me a three issue arc. Give me a single issue. I don't care. But we got to take advantage of the fact that both fathers are alive right now. That'd yeah, be some sweet that's stuff. That's true. And then John Jonathan Kent, the true Jonathan Kent, comes in and saves the day. <laughs> comes in with his shotgun and pitchfork. He's like, leave my boys alone. I'm not going to lie. I'd like to see that. Hell yeah. I want John Kent back. I miss Pa. All right. But anyways, moving along. Uh, Supergirl number 31 is out. And this is going to be big because if you're reading Supergirl, then you need to buy the Superman book. And if you're reading Superman, then you need to buy the Supergirl book. So Supergirl 31 and Superman number 12 are both released this week. And they're part of a big crossover that unites the House of L. So these two are going to finally meet up again. She's going to see her nephew uh, grown up even more. And it looks like the three of them are going to be going after Rogulzar. That's right. The evil bad guy from the Ragu family is going to be taking on <laughs> and facing his uh, actions. Like a, like a pasta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I fuck you up, Krypton, you know. Kind of talking about Supergirl for a second, though, uh, as an aside. I was on Twitter the other day and just someone, I forgot who it was, but someone just mentioned, I don't like Supergirl and Superman together sometimes because there's like this weird sexual tension. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what, what are the, you? What are you talking about? What book are they? I mean, like, maybe if they're reading the 50s stuff. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, pre-Crisis on yeah, Infinite Earth. I'm like, they're cousins. But, I mean, uh, hey, Game of Thrones happened, so. <laughs> there you go. That's what's happening. Uh, let's see. The Terrifics Volume 2 will be collected, and this will have the Tom Strong and the Terrifics story arc. I can't believe that's trade. still going. I'm glad it is. I, 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 Granted, I'm not reading the book, but out of all the stuff that came out of metal, that one looked the most promising. It was I'm the best. I'm glad that it, it did survive. Um, it was interesting to see Sideways in the Heroes in Crisis book. Yeah, well, that was That's like, a, yeah. hey, let's let's promote real quick. Well, I mean, that, that book's done, and I didn't I didn't finish the end of it. But from what I saw in Heroes in Crisis, I'm assuming his mother dies. So that was interesting. I don't know. I wish I could because I think I think uh, Sideways just got like the one panel thing. Yeah, you know. So I don't even know if they mentioned that part. So yeah, so he says something about like, oh, he does. He huh? says something about yeah, it's my fault. My mother died or something like that. Now, did that happen at the start of the book? No, it would have been at the end. Oh wow! So major spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, well, let's see, moving along, uh, Wonder Twins issue 5 will be out, and Wonder Woman issue 72 will be out as well as we get closer to the big 75th anniversary. Uh, let's see here. Jumping to the other side of the fence, we have Marvel Comics. <clears throat> so we're going to get two major issues this week. Age of X-Men, Apocalypse and the Extracts issue 4. That will continue on what's going on with the hippie apocalypse. And then the marvelous X-Men issue 5. This will be the first of the series to actually end. So this is going to be pretty crazy, like what's going to be happening there. And then Amazing Spider-Man issue 23 will also be coming out. Now, this is going to be a big one because um, so I'm going to get an advanced review on this one and they haven't released the final page just yet. So if you're going to your comic shop, I would definitely say pick yourself up a copy. Uh, this is part of the fallout from Hunted. Hunted, the storyline that went on for as many issues as it could and then H.U. more. Uh, so crazy stuff there. So it'll be interesting to see. And again, we're getting closer to that 25th issue. So what's going to happen there? 
Uh, Asgardians of the Galaxy issue 10 will be out as well. Avengers No Road Home will be collected in trade paperback. This series did amazingly well. Uh, a lot of fans loved it. It got reprinted several times. And it looks like there's going to be, and I could be wrong, but it looks like there's going to be a third part to this series because Marvel has been releasing a lot of No Compromise, No Mercy tr- uh, characters, creating the even more savage, vengeful Avengers team. So I'm excited because Winter Soldier will be on it. So yeah, so if you're a fan of that or if you are curious about the hype, the trade is out. Champions 6 will be out as well. Dead Man Logan Volume 1 will be out. This will collect the first six issues of the 12-issue goodbye to the oldest old man Logan, older man Logan, whatever you want to call him. Um, Celebrating Marvel's 80th anniversary, there's going to be the Decades Trade Paperbacks, and we'll have the Mutant Explosion. So that's right. If you want to dive back into all that nice 1990s uh, shoulder pads, pockets, (laughs) pouches, and whatever art, it's all going to be there. So there's going to be various comics coming from Excalibur, Wolverine, X-Factor, X-Men, Generation X, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, X-Force, Deadpool, and Cable. That's right. All of them are going to be crammed into one book. Real quick, I know you said it before. Major X is the son of Cable. Yes. Okay. At least as far as I know. I know that book takes place in the 80s. Yeah, it's supposed to be like, oh, we forgot to put this out back in the day. So, yeah, like maybe late 80s, probably early 90s. So maybe if there's something at the end of that book of a reason why, but with the whole death of the cable that we know and then Wi-Fi coming along and then now X-Man coming through, shouldn't Major X like be around and be like, hey, what the fuck? (laughs) What's going on, Dad? That's a good point. That's absolutely right. I think that'd be great, but honestly, I I feel like I think I saw something recently with Rob Leefield. Like he's, I don't think he's gonna be on good standing with Marvel after this. Oh, um, I just think I think he's. I don't know. Like I don't want to put my thoughts into other people's actions or business, but I just think the relationship started out strong between the two. Like yeah, hell yeah, let's bring back some old school creative and let's do some new stuff. And the book is just more or less like people are buying it because it's like, oh, it's being marketed as the guy who created Deadpool. Deadpool. And so here's a brand new creation. So I think people are buying it to have it, not necessarily buying it like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is great. And honestly, I would say Marvel's probably like, hey, let's get Rob Liefeld in here because Deadpool is a big thing yeah, again. Like, and let's just exploit and this. He's, and put it he's exploiting them back. He's just like, yeah, get my name out there as much as I, I, I can see the two of them not yeah. liking each other at all. But uh, and if you want to hear more about what he's going to be talking, you talking about his characters and the stuff that he's making this weekend at Amazing Las Vegas Con, he's going to be one of the biggest guests. Oh no, oh, shit. really? Yeah, nice. Yeah. So it's kind of like those relationships you read about on TV about like giant alligators that have those frogs that live inside yeah. the tail of bacteria. <laughs> yep, it's a symbiotic relationship. Yep, that's right. he's a little frog. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so but yeah, I, I, I'm very curious. But yeah, I, I honestly I wouldn't bank on Major X making a major. Impact. Impact. I was trying to look for an X word. Uh, uh, major X making a major explosion on the X-Men. Fair enough. Major disaster. Uh, anyway, so yeah. Uh, Fantastic Four Epic Collection it, Volume 18 will be out. Now, these Epic Collections are great because eventually they'll come around and collect the whole entirety of the, the Fantastic Four saga or whatever else is going on. So this will be some of your... <clears throat> Uh, nine early 90s, late 80s uh, Fantastic Four adventures as well. So Steve Englehart, John Buscema, and Ron Friends will be some of the uh, uh, creative tied in with this one. 
Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man issue six will be getting a second printing. Now that is the real Spider-Man book to be reading right now. Uh, Tom Taylor is hitting it out of the park. He's doing some fantastic for fantastic stuff. And so with issue six being getting a second print, and that's just in time. Why? Because we will also have issue seven out. Uh, the Prowler's on the cover. So what's going to be happening? Well, we're going to find out. So we're gonna we're gonna see some crazy stuff going on there. Let's see. Giant Man issue three or three will end that miniseries, which is true ending because we have the War of the Realms coming to a conclusion. That's true. So yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see what's going to happen out there. Now, if you like your Hulk's big, angry, and veiny, <laughs> yeah, that's a setup, but uh, Hulk by Loeb and McGinnis, Omnibus will be collected. So this will wow. be some of the origin stories, or actually, this is the first appearances of the Red Hulk. Yep. So, I mean, Ed McGinnis, he can draw some like really buff dudes, and this has been fantastic because he did a great art job on the uh, the Incredible Hulk series. So yeah, this is going to feature a lot of stuff. Uh, inc- or sorry, Hulk issues one through twenty four, King size Hulk number one, Fall of the Hulks Gamma, uh, Hulk sized Mini Hulks number one, and Incredible Hulk six hundred and Wolverine number fifty. So yeah, a lot of good stuff there, taking us back to uh, mid two mid two thousand. So yeah, kind of interesting there. Hulk Vereens has been collected in trade paperback. Now, Mitch, didn't you read this crossover? I do read that book. That's a it's a it's an interesting book. I like the character that they set up. Um, I forget what the character's name is, but you know he's he essentially has the a healing factor, and he's he's ex um, black ops kind of guy, and they uh, this organization gets a hold of him and is like hey we're gonna put uh you know hulk jeans into you and then we're gonna put wolverine jeans in you make you the ultimate killing machine and and what do you get when you have the hulk and wolverine <laughs> put into one well the dude's very stoic so he's just like oh, i don't want to kill people <laughs> clay does that sound familiar clay, yeah clay, weapon h yeah weapon h yeah so that's gonna be pretty wild so i read yeah i, I read Wep- weapon h weapon h all the way through and then i i started collecting uh hulk Vereens, but i think i was only a couple issues in and i'm just behind yeah well it's a three-parter so yeah so you're probably you're probably midway through yeah so yeah so that'll be collected yeah that was quite the sleeper hit uh, it's kind of funny because going back to the age of metal dc gave us damage yeah and then you have the hulk Vereen, so it's kind of funny you know similar characters but it looks like hulk Vereen or no weapon h right that's his proper yeah. name weapon h turned out to be the the stronger of the two yeah uh now here's the big book uh this one's actually outselling batman that's right immortal hulk issue 19 will be out that's crazy uh, I can't believe we're living in an era where Hulk is outselling Batman. But then again, we lived in an era where Aquaman outsold the X-Men. This so this is, is some cool stuff. So, I mean, right now the creative Al Ewing and Joe Bennett are killing it. Do you think that had anything to do with DC taking Tom King off of Batman? Oh, no, no. I think the inc- the Immortal Hulk book has just been such a sleeper. It earned it on its own merit. Yeah, from what? Well, from I'm not saying it did. I'm just yeah. saying like DC being like, oh, Immortal Hulk has beaten us. How, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, do you think? No, I don't think they did. I think, I mean, well, okay, maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe from a standpoint sense, it's like, oh, shit, we need more press. We need more hype. So what's the best way to get that? Make a new number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, no, okay, I could see that. Yeah. Maybe I could see them saying like, oh, shit, we got to do something to justify. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Rafa, what you were going to say? Uh, oh. Yeah, part of that, too, I think. Maybe, I mean, I don't want to badmouth Warner Brothers. I don't want to badmouth DC Comics, but I could see them doing something that, that petty. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're outsourced, outselling. Oh, no. Batman. Oh, no. Has Batman always been their highest seller? Or, I mean, like, ongoing book? It's definitely, the, yeah, they're, it's their, like, safest book. Okay. It's, you know, like, 
the VAP, the VAP family will always sell. So okay. it's like, okay, here we go. Yeah. It's because of those uh, Dick Grayson abs. Yeah, mm. right? <laughs> and buns. Yep. Mm, that's true. Mm. Bad grease. <laughs> uh, let's see. Invaders issue six will be out. This book, folks, you need to be getting on this because if you're looking forward to seeing Namer in the MCU and you want to see a vengeful Namer, this is where it's at. So this will conclude the war ghost story arc that Chip Zardaski has started in the uh, brand, le- brand new launched book. It's been fun. I've been reading this. I mean, we're getting the Invaders, Invaders, Cap, uh, well, Steve, Bucky, Jim Hammond, a.k.a. the Human Torch, and Namer. So we're seeing the classics here, and it's an intense, heated book. I mean, this is this is like, this is Civil War, but better. Because it's it's dealing with Namer realizing that he's tired of getting kicked around by the planet. The oceans are getting mistreated. So he's doing some crazy shit to make sure that it gets taken care of properly, which definitely doesn't rub well with the Avengers. Uh, Major X issue five of six will be out. But again, you know, just collect it to get it. Uh, Marvel Masterworks Spectacular Spider-Man hardcover volume two will be out. So this is one of the first times that they decided to say, hey, the Spider-Man guy is popular enough. Let's give him another book. So the Spectacular Spider-Man was launched and a lot of great stuff here. Um, You'll also get Frank Miller's very first Daredevil artwork. So if you're a Daredevil fan, I put your radar onto that because that's the first time Mr. Miller was on The Man Without Fear. And surprisingly enough, it's actually really good. Uh, Since DC's doing some books, Marvel's going to do one as well. So they have Marvel Monograph, The Art of Humberto Ramos. So if you were a Humberto Ramos fan, uh, he definitely did a lot of great Spider-Man stuff. They're going to put an art book out there as well, and it'll definitely feature a lot of his work and also have a behind-the-scenes of him explaining how he created what he created. Marvel Tales, Spider-Man number one will be featured this week. So the Marvel Tales books also is cashing out on the 80th anniversary. So this one will collect Amazing Spider-Man issue 66, Marvel Spotlight number 32, and Spectacular Spider-Man number 90. So this is going to be great because even though it's called Spider-Man, we're going to be meeting a lot of other characters here. We will get the first appearance of Jessica Drew. And I believe the first appearance of Black Cat as well. So it's going to be pretty nice. Uh, This is a great collection. The books are nicely printed, beautiful covers, and a lot of great treasures inside of it. Uh, Here's a big one that everybody's been waiting for. Silver Surfer Black. Yes, um, the crazy mind of Donnie Cates will be now going over to Silver Surfer. And we've seen Donnie write Silver Surfer during his Thanos Wind story arc. So this will definitely be one of those books that will probably outsell. So if you can get yourself a copy, get yourself a copy. This is a book that is near and dear to my heart. I love it. Spider-Man Life Story. Uh, This series has been fantastic. It's neat seeing Peter Parker go through the ages. uh, And it's very... It's a hard book to read because you see a lot of stuff that he does that pisses you off and you see a lot of hurtful things that are happening in his life. So right now we'll be visiting Peter Parker in the 1990s and this will be during falling or this will basically deal with the Cold War. So it'll be very interesting. Uh, Silver Sabre will probably be a big part of this one. And I'm hoping that we'll get to see some Winter Soldier in this as well. Uh, There's a couple of Star Wars books. Then we've got Superior Spider-Man number seven. Symbiote Spider-Man number two is getting a second printing was just perfect because Symbiote Spider-Man number three will be coming out. So this will definitely play very nicely for fans of the upcoming Spider-Man film. So I used to think it's interesting is that uh, usually Marvel gets on these things, these kicks before 
the movie comes out. Yeah, so yeah. you would think you would have saw all the symbiote stuff, Venom stuff before Venom came out. But I honestly think they didn't think Venom was going to be that big a hit. Well, but then again, like as much like DC, like Warner Brothers has way too much uh, control of what's going on. And Marvel's been practicing that too. So if they're not going to get a lot of the profits because of that, they're mm-hmm. not going to promote as much. This is true. So that's why, I mean, with Venom being a purely Sony thing, I think that's where they're like, ah, eh, fuck it. So then after it became a big hit, they were like, oh, well, now we can jump on. Yeah, now People we will come read our stuff. Yep. And who knows? Maybe like maybe they have to give some proceeds to Sony if they do marketing before. So maybe they wait till the movie's out, then it's big, and it's like, hey, then we'll get more maximum profit. I don't know. Okay. Fair Crazy enough. stuff. Uh, but speaking of tie-ins, so if you want to save some money, the True Believer series will be focusing on some reprints. Uh, we will have True Believer Spider-Man Morbius number one. So this will be reprinting Amazing Spider-Man number 101. So we're going to see the six-armed Spider-Man face off against Morbius. Michael Morbius before, well, Michael Morbius was a scientist. Uh, he decided to experiment on himself and he became Morbius, the living vampire. Uh, so this will be interesting. And this is going to be really good. Why? Because it's going to have some amazing Gil Kane art in it. Wow. So for a dollar, definitely treat yourself. Um, True Believer Spider-Man versus the Hulk number one will be out. This reprints Amazing Spider-Man number 328. I know nothing about this book except for the fact that it shows the Hulk getting punched in the nuts by Spider-Man. <laughs> that alone, that alone is worth now, does the that, dollar. <laughs> does that hurt the Hulk or does that hurt Spider-Man? Um, probably Spider-Man. Yeah, I would think so. But then again, this is I think this is actually Todd McFarlane art. Uh, that makes so, sense. You know, yeah. And so, I mean, the Hulk, on, on, I'm looking at the cover, the Hulk definitely has a face of like, oh, like it's kind of like when you would hit Donkey Kong yeah. in those old games. So he'd like pound his fist. So yeah, it may hurt him for the moment, but it is ultimately going to hurt you more. <laughs> yeah, I would think that like, like punching the Hulk doesn't necessarily hurt your hand like if you punch Superman. Like right, that's right. punching steel. Right, right. But, you know, the Hulk just doesn't feel it. Like it doesn't care. So it, it I mean... I can understand it being like it upsetting the Hulk even more, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So, that, but again, just for that cover alone, seeing like, I mean, it's literally Spider-Man on the ground punching up right into the Hulk's dang. Is he doing a Johnny Cage? He's, I don't know if I'm mimicking the pose. I don't know if that counts or not, oh. but <laughs> it's definitely close enough. Uh, let's see. Then the last book coming out, and this one I would recommend just because the cover is very beautiful. Uh, True Believers, Sinister Secret Spider-Man's new costume. Wow. What a title. Sinister but, Secret Spider-Man. Yeah. What the I, hell is Sinister Secret Spider-Man? I think they just didn't, they didn't want to say spider or symbiote. Oh, okay. You know, they could have just said, yeah, you'd think they should have said the sinister symbiote costume, but eh, whatever. But anyways, this will reprint Amazing Spider-Man issue 258. And this cover is also very well, too, because it shows Peter Parker kind of fighting off both costumes coming after him. as classic red and blue and the symbiote one. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know this one as well either, but I think this might be the one where we see the famous nightmares where Peter Parker was sleeping and then he'd be attacked and his loved ones and stuff like that. And then he wakes up already in action in the symbiote costume. Like we so saw I, in Spider-Man 3. Yeah, Spider-Man 3, the Spider-Man cartoon on Fox, all of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where that famous moment comes from. So I definitely, I'd recommend that one. Is Just a dangerous sleepwalking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We that's all like face what, it. <laughs> that's what people on Ambien do now. Yep. <laughs> yep. Watch out, Twitter. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, a couple more quick books here. We've got Venom number 15. War of the Realms number three is getting a second printing. War of the Realms Journey into Mystery number two is getting a second printing as well. And this is really good. This could bode well. War of the Realms New Agents of Atlas number one will be getting a second printing as well. So this is a team composed of uh, 
Asian background character. So let's see. I mean, I hope there's a lot of hype for this as well. And then this is going to be a very good book as well. If you want to see more of um, what's going to happen to Rachel, X-Force number nine. So that's right. The cover is just Rachel as a phoenix. Uh, she's definitely in her uh, hunter costume. So I'm very excited to see. I'm so mad at myself for not picking this book up all the way from issue number one. I should have. Um, so this is going to be a 10 issue series. Uh, Ed Breeson is doing some great stuff. So that's what's on your comic racks this Wednesday. Awesome. So then, like I said, uh, this coming weekend is amazing Las Vegas comic con. Uh, it's June 14th, 15th and 16th at the Las Vegas convention center. Uh, they're going to have guests like, uh, Rob Liefeld, um, John Aston, uh, Jason, David Franks, Amy Jo Johnson. Um, Oh, they're going to have the four people, I guess, or four creators that were responsible for Infinity Gauntlet. So Joe Rubens, Joe Rubenstein, uh, Jim George Starling, Perez. George Perez, and one more, and I can't remember his name at the moment. Oh, my God. But Jerry Conway is also going to be there. Um, and uh, there's, I think there's one more actor, and I can't remember who it is. But, I mean, obviously, Sean Astin. Sophie Turner. No, it's not going to be Sophie Turner. Oh, okay. Uh, Sean Ashton is, is a big one, and um, the fact uh, I, I oh got, Asher Angel Asher Angel Angel uh, and the kid that plays um, Pedro in Shazam yeah so Jovan Armand oh that's awesome yeah two so of the Shazamis two Shazams there uh, I was I, I asked I got recently got to interview Jimmy J who runs the amazing Las Vegas Comic Con uh, I asked him so you're gonna have Sean Aston there and you're gonna have the people who created Thanos uh, do you do you ask if uh, Sean Aston would like to play Star Fox since he played the younger brother to Josh Rowland in Goonies. Ooh, that'd be like, fun. right? Ah, yeah, yeah. Or you could even ask, uh, you know, the uh, Rob Liefeld since he created Cable. Like, who's the younger brother that Sean Aston could play to, to Cable? That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, so I, I pulled up the list here. Holy shit! Like, I oh damn, summer school. So Rob Liefeld will be there as you mentioned. Um, the Infinity Gauntlet reunion. So yes. Uh, this will be Jim Starlin, who was the writer and creator of Thanos. Ron Lim, who was the artist that there you go, Ron up Lim. after George Perez had to leave the series. Joe Rubenstein, the inker. Um, he's a, he, we've chatted with him before. He's an interesting mm -hmm. fellow. And then this is huge. George Perez, they're billing this as his final appearance. Now, they say final appearance, but I'm thinking this is probably his final appearance for the amazing Las Vegas Comic Con. Well, now, it, okay. According to the interview, he said that it's going to be his last one especially on the west coast that's what i was just gonna say yeah. i'll bet he's probably not gonna be coming out to the west coast oh my god this hurts and it's also the one right after his birthday yeah wow dude wow like george Perez, that man his art is just amazing like i there's so much it's so beautiful like this oh man i wish i would have seen that <laughs> uh that's crazy um so i will be there if uh, anybody listening to this would like to stop by and say hi i'll be in my shirt my geekly shirt and i'll have to hopefully be doing interviews so, yeah, go see Mitch. Go tell him he's handsome. Go give him a hug. <laughs> Thank you. Don't kiss him unless he gives you consent. That's right. Yep. Uh, Jerry Duggan's going to be there as well. He's Jerry a writer, uh, Savage Avengers. Mm -hmm. You're getting that book, right? I'm getting it. I have yet to start reading it. Uh, yet. <laughs> I wish I was there so I could ask the two of you, what? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> but again, I get it. I mean, I play with action figures. Sometimes you set a couple aside and you're like, that'd be a badass team. It's so, yeah, some of the, awesome. yeah, as I say, it's the other people other than Conan in that, like, that <laughs> really got me interested. I'm like, ooh. Uh, Venom on an Avengers team. That's kind of interesting. What if Conan just turns out to just be fucking awesome? I mean, that would be great. That's more power, more greatness for me. <laughs> I don't see it happening, but... It's true. 
Hey, there's love for him out there. I just, I don't get it. Like, I can fully admit, like, I've I've said it in the comic shop. I'd be like, oh, yeah, Conan. And people light up, like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know. First, you must defeat your enemies, then you drink the blood. You know, I don't know. I just, I never got into it. <laughs> so, that's, uh, that's what I'll be doing. But let's talk about Dark Phoenix Saga. Yes. When did it come out? Okay, so the Dark Phoenix Saga, now this is tough, but if we specifically just stay with the Dark Phoenix Saga, then you're looking at Uncanny X-Men issues 129 through 138, which go back to the 1980s, and let's see if I can get you the actual issue release dates here. By the power of the internet. So what did I say it was? Starting with 139? 129, 129, 129 to 138. All right, so issue 129, we are looking at... A release of so sorry the seventies. <laughs> no, we're, we're not that early. January, uh, January of 1980. Yes, so there it is. Wow, that was um, that was very interesting. So if you look at the cover, um, you you'll see Colossus, Storm, and Wolverine squaring off against some Knights of the Hellfire Club. Um, but what's crazy is it's not billed as the Phoenix or as the Dark Phoenix Saga. What's so those collectors, as? it's just nothing. It just says, "Save us from the Knights of Hellfire." Oh wow! You know, so, it's, so this it's, is the introduction of the Hellfire Club. Well, yeah, yeah. So this should be uh, their first appearance. So the Dark Phoenix Saga is billed as a nine-part series. Uh, first appearance of Kitty Pride and Emma Frost. So actually, I don't even think we get the full. Uh, Hellfire Club just yet. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this is a huge issue. Like, a lot of great stuff happened there. Um, yeah, fantastic stuff. But now, I, in in my readings, I would say, I would take you a step further back, and I would make a case for saying that you should actually go back. I mean, you should really start at Giant Size X-Men number one. I mean, that that's where the major change happens. But, you know, if you don't want to make that, that deep a dive, which is totally fine, but I would say go back to Uncanny X-Men issue 98, which was released in April of 76. So this is a four-year storyline that happened. And this is all Claremont. Yeah, this is all Chris Claremont. Uh, Chris Claremont and uh, Dave Cochran was actually the artist on this one uh, at the start of the Phoenix saga. So in issue 98, the X-Men celebrate Christmas. Not that they necessarily all practice Christmas, but it's wintertime, it's New York, and it's fantastic. And this was a fun issue because we actually see Scott and Jean finally go on a date. And as they're getting on the elevator, you see Stan Lee and Jack Kirby getting off. And they're looking, and Jack's like, look at those damn kids. And then Stan's like, yeah, we didn't have them kiss back in our day. You know, those are some solid impressions, no, I'm sure, right? Solid. Um, but anyways, this I, saw it. I saw it in the whites of your eyes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so this is the issue where the Sentinels are back. This is insane because the threat of the Sentinels was destroyed in the 1970s by Neil Adams and Roy Thomas. They got Cyclops to trick the Sentinels to going into the sun and sacrificing themselves. Um, so now they're back, and they kidnap some of the X-Men and take them to space. So this is what gets Jean Grey over in outer space. It introduces us to the... Oh, God, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, he was definitely one of those... Um, shoot a dem He was one of those um, human characters... Uh, he was part of the space program. Oh, it'll come to me later. But anyways, yeah, he was he was basically picking off the X Men and taking them to space. Really? So yeah, he managed to get 
uh, I think Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Jean and got him up into space. So then issue 99 has the X-Men, you know, go out there, manage to get aboard a spaceship, fly out in outer space and, and take them on and whatnot. Uh, and then issue 100 shows the famous cover where you have the old original X-Men versus the new giant size X-Men with Xavier standing in the middle and being like, fight my X-Men. Um, huge stuff. And then that's where they, they, they get on the ship. They come to Earth. And it leaves us with a cliffhanger ending because the ship's starting to explode. So I have two of the biggest X-Men experts here in the room with me right now. And I don't know a lot about the X-Men history. But at this point, has Sinestro... Or not Sinestro, sorry. <laughs> Mr. Sinister already swapped out jeans with um, Madeline Pryor. So that's all going to be inserted later. But technically, no. Okay. So he, I'll, I'll give you some of that backstory. So now issue 101, which was released October of 76... The spaceship crashes into Jamaica Bay. And at that point, this is where the Phoenix has now, and this again, this is all inserted continuity. We didn't see this when it first happened. But the Phoenix essence just fell in love with Jean Grey's soul, her 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 inner beauty, everything about the woman, and embraced her to the point where Jean and Phoenix became one. Then it took Jean's body and put it in a cocoon so it could heal at the bottom of the Jamaica Bay. Mm-hmm. But what fans knew at that time was Jean had become the Phoenix. Yeah. So yeah, this was huge. So yeah, I mean October seventy six, and as you pointed out in the eighties, is when that when the Dark Phoenix saga started. But yeah, this is the Phoenix saga. So we start learning about the Emkron crystal, the, the, the Shi'ar Empire, the Star Jammers, all the crazy space elements of the X-Men is all starting right here. Uh, which, battle- which, which, which stayed for a long time, right? Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah it yeah. expanded. Yeah, no, I mean, all the, the, the Star Jammer stuff is huge because all of that stuff, um, like it, it, it carried on into the 90s. That's why the X-Men had all those cool danger rooms because they got all that Shi'ar technology. Now, something that's pretty wild about the... Um, the oh man the the galactic empire what is it the the group of heroes that defend the shi'ar empire i don't know what they actually call the imperial guard the imperial guard yeah, right, right. the imperial guard. imperial guard with gladiator yeah, yeah. the shi'ar imperial guard yeah. so a lot of those guys uh, they were basically designed by david cockrum because i guess he he either wrote or he either drew for the legion of superheroes or he was trying to pitch them. But a lot of those characters actually were designed to be DC comic book characters. Same is, thing with Storm and Nightcrawler. Is that why we have Star Fox in both universes? I don't I don't think so. Oh, okay. But yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, so a lot of those characters were designed based off of the Legion of Superheroes or, you know, they were they were they were going to be Legion of Superheroes, but unfortunately, the deal just did not happen. So issue 107 gives us the the first appearance of the Star Jammers. That's where we learn about Cyclops's cool space pirate dad with that awesome mustache. <laughs> um but then, yeah, a lot of things start happening. Uh, issue 114 of Uncanny is when the X-Men die. So at this point, the, the two are the whole team, the, 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 the giant-sized team with Gene, Beast, and Cyclops. They manage to go attack Magneto in his cool Savage Land volcano hideaway. And then, of course, you know, fighting in a volcano is stupid. So they manage to break the volcano. The teams get separated. So Gene and Beast are the only two that live. So as far as they know, the X-Men have died. And then the X-Men think Gene and Beast have died. So that put a lot of complications there. But this is what gets Gene away from the X-Men. And then that's where the seduction by Mastermind starts happening. So that's where he makes himself look like the very handsome Jason Wingard. And he starts seducing her and having her have these flashbacks to... um, Oh, God, I wouldn't even know what's like 
early 1800s royalty yeah. and, and making her believe that she is an ancestor that she used to be right like reliving yeah. through her life yeah. so kind of slowly psychically taking out those barriers yeah he starts really yeah seducing the phoenix as well teaching it passion uh then one more issue i would highly recommend that you read is uncanny issue 125 so this one was fun because the phoenix is back and there's something awful on mirror island i love those titles hyperbole <laughs> that they use uh but this is the first appearance of mutant x the proteus saga so rafa and i were just talking about it proteus being the child of moira mctaggart and he just has some amazing incredible abilities um and then i think that leads to I'm not sure if it's that issue 125 or if it's the next issue 126 or maybe even 127, but the Proteus saga happens and that's the famous one where Cyclops throws the coffee in, in, in Wolverine's face and he's like, come on, runt. And then Cyclops manages to take down the rest of the X-Men and he's basically like, because a lot of them got freaked out when they fought Proteus because, I mean, Proteus was like, hey, you're now going to be Tetris blocks and you're going to be marbles and all this stuff. It's like that scene in uh, Infinity War. Yeah. When, get, when Thanos was doing that to like... Uh, the Guardians. Yeah, the yeah, Guardians. Messing with all their, they're warping their reality and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. So that that's the last story before we get into the Dark Phoenix set. Wow. So yeah, a lot of great history there. I highly recommend it's an investment, but I think it's worthwhile. The Marvel Masterworks series. They have a run of X-Men that will take you from the 05 to issue one to like 70 before the reprints happen. And then they have the Uncanny X-Men volumes, which will also showcase all that stuff there. So yes, sorry, that was long-winded, but no. here we are. We're back at the Dark Phoenix saga, nine parts. Crazy stuff. Issue 129, yeah. Uh, we get Kitty Pride and Emma Frost. And I tell you, it's funny because I know Rafa and I have had this discussion about, you know, uh, Emma. When I first met her, luckily I, I first met her in her first appearance, she was evil. Yeah. Uh, that's why I really love that line in Astonishing X-Men when Kitty's talking to Emma and she's like, you know, the first time I met evil was when I first met you. And I was like, wow, because that really harkens back to that issue. And it's true, you know, like especially with uh – uh uncanny that came out uh, last week and you know how they're showcasing oh, with emma who she's become and she's doing these bad things in order to save her people to go back because yeah I, I i i'd known about the phoenix saga but i hadn't like gone back and actually read pieces of it and so reading it yeah seeing emma as the white queen yeah. there taking out the x-men um systematically you know she removed all of their clothes so that she could make sure that they couldn't escape mm -hmm. and yeah. holding them in cages it's like this is some sinister stuff yeah you know what's so funny is that the x-men and i know i'm speaking to the two wrong people but they get the they don't get the credit for what they've done to the way we look at comic book characters these days so follow me on this you the the best mcu movies by most people are the ones where the villains are not sympathetic. Are sympathetic, yeah. yeah, yeah. They have the their meaning. So the X Men villain and hero are very much interchangeable throughout the X Men comics. Like, I agree with you. Your your Magneto has been a good guy and a bad guy for the longest time. Emma Frost, bad guy, good guy. You know, they they switch back and forth all the time. Uh, we have at times where Xavier is the villain. Oh yeah, even reading through uh, through Dark, the beginning of Dark Phoenix Saga, we see him come back and he's actually talking and he's running the teams through these things in the danger room and he's just being an asshole yeah, the whole time. Big time asshole. So it's it's just I just find it so interesting that like the X Men for the longest time since their inception have have been villains and superheroes like at the same uh, heroes and villains at the same time you know. Oh, I love that because it really speaks point. to it speaks to the fact that they're redemptive. Yeah. You know, because I mean, would you fault somebody for doing whatever they could to survive? No. 
I mean, yes, you know, somebody was like, hey, I'm going to rape you and steal your bread. Yeah, that might be a little too far. Maybe just take the bread. But just stealing the bread is like, we can redeem we that. We can redeem that, you know. But it's, I mean, that's. Magneto is a mass genocide person, yeah. though. You know, I mean, no, I get you. Like, I mean, it, it, like, if you go back and you read his first appearances, like, holy shit. The dude was murderous. He was a monster. Um, but then as they've peeled back the layers and they started showing that, no, he was a survivor of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they make him younger each time. Each time. You know, because, yeah, you can't stretch. You know, I mean, like that's, I love the memes from the Dark Phoenix stuff where it's like 1992 Dark Phoenix saga played by Michael Fassbender. X-Men 2000 played by um, Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah, it's right. like, what happened to him in the 90s? And you're like, damn. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's the one thing about the, the new X-Men movies since First Class is like, because they've done the whole thing of, we started in 1962, and then the next movie was 1972, the next movie was 1982, this movie is 1992. It's like, none of them are aging, but they're getting older throughout time. So it's very much comic book It is comic book Yeah. So. No, I dig it. And there's a little bit of just... I don't know, something about being a comic book fan that makes that. I don't know. It I makes like it, it okay. It yeah. makes it, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, like, I, I, I wish that people wouldn't take it that it's literally 1992 or whatever the case would be. I just like the fact that the trappings around it represent that era. Yeah, it you gives know? you an idea of what, what your surroundings are. What, yeah, what yeah. everything was looking like. Because, I mean, definitely, like, and it's interesting because if you want, and I, I hate to say this, but in my opinion, uh, before you all throw your fruit at me, yeah. I think the best adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga is X-Men the Animated Series. Yeah. Because it really, it, it, it has the benefit of like we were kind of talking about with George R.R. R. Martin, where it's like, I wrote this thing, I created this beautiful world, somebody else took it and made an ending, and then we can learn from it. We can learn like people like this, they didn't like that. And so when the Dark Phoenix saga happened, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump forward just so I can jump back, but when it, when it was first produced, and John Byrne is on the book by now, too. He's also the artist. So Byrne and Claremont, they had a great working relationship. I mean, <laughs> they produced Uncanny X-Men. This is huge. Uh, even their inker, Terry Austin, was a great part of that trifecta as well. And so they came on, and they just made X-Men so much better. Dave Cockburn, he laid seed. He put it all out there. He made the team international, which, again, had even more representation. But the Byrne... Claremont and Austin, those three just made it huge, epic. And so when they created all this story and whatnot, you know, Jim Starlin was editor at the time. And he's like, I'm tall. I don't care. You know? <laughs> and then finally it's like, wait, Jean did what? Oh, yeah, she ate a planet. Okay, well, what's going to happen? Well, we're just going to take away her powers and be done with it. No, fuck that. I'm editor. She needs to die. And so that's why we actually have the death. Um, and the death was just, it was going to stick and it kind of, it definitely put a monkey wrench because there exists and I highly recommend reading it. Uh, X-Men, what if the dark Phoenix saga had ended differently Mm -hmm. and they put out the original ending. So it's kind of like the Jason Todd thing. The comic exists. We've never seen the, well, we've seen the pages. They've just never been official where people voted for Jason Todd to live. Right. So Marvel put it together, a gimmicky book, and they released it. And it's very expensive. It's almost like, I mean, if you can find it for 10 bucks, that's a steal. I know the dollar reprints, they did a reprint as well, so you might get lucky and find a copy. It's worth a read. It's great. Because in that one, the Shi'ar Empire defeats the Phoenix. They strip Jean of her powers, and Scott and Jean go off and live a happy life. Because that's what Claremont wanted to do. He was like, I'm just going to write off the X-Men slowly, one by one. Uh, in the 90s, he was going to kill Wolverine. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. He was going to kill Wolverine, and it was going to stick. I mean, unless Rob Leefield was like, let's make Major Wolverine. (laughs) But um, so anyway, so yeah, so all that ended. Um, Jim Starlin said no, so that's why we got the famous death. 
Um, but then later on, uh, a young Kurt Busick working for Marvel at the time, he overheard that um, Bob Layton wanted to do X-Factor, and it was going to be a book that featured the original X-Men. Well, it's going to be hard to do because Gene's dead. Hank, a.k.a. the Beast, Angel, and Iceman, and Cyclops are still around. You can pull them, so they needed that fifth female member. And they toyed with using Dazzler. So she actually would have been the original member of uh, X-Factor. But, you know, luckily Kurt Busiek was like, well, what if what if the Phoenix wasn't Gene? What if the Phoenix was pretending to be Gene? So hence the whole cocoon thing, which led to X-Factor. Uh, I know Chris Claremont got mad because he created Madeline as, you know, a reason to get Cyclops to leave the X-Men. So Madeline was supposed to be that substitute. And then that's when they decided, oh, let's create the Inferno event, which was like, I want to say mid to early 80s, and that's where we get the whole that Madeline is actually a demon clone of... Demon goblin queen yeah. clone of monster created <laughs> by Mr. Sinister. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so why did I give you all that history? Because the, the X-Men, the animated series, they got a great opportunity to adapt that. And I think they did it like in a five-episode uh, miniseries, I forget, but are you know episodes of the show. Right. But anyways, they did that, and it was great because that gave us the ending as it should have been. Uh, Jean Grey being stripped of the Phoenix ability and forgiven for her stuff. So yes, so I, that's where I go. The movies, I don't know. I still have yet to see it. I, I'm hoping to venture out there and go check it out. Um, I mean, from what I know of the Dark Phoenix saga, uh, I feel like this new this new movie kind of follows it pretty closely. Uh-huh. So you have, uh, I mean, okay. So spoilers for people who haven't watched Dark Dark Phoenix saga yet, but um, you have Jessica Chastain's character who. They aren't the Shi'ar, but they are an alien force that... The debris? Or something like that? The Bari? That could be it. I don't remember exactly what they end up calling them themselves in the movie. Okay. But they're essentially these um, shape-shifting aliens that uh, follow... After their planet was destroyed by the Phoenix Force, they followed it to... Or they tracked it through the, the cosmos, and then they saw it as it went into Gene while they were in outer space. And then like they essentially wanted to get Gene to come with them or to uh you know use the power to its full extent to re, re rebirth the planet rebirth their planet but then gene's like i don't really want the power so uh jessica chastain's character kind of their leader ends up trying to take the take the power from her and they're like well the only way for us to get a new planet is to basically burn your planet and create a new planet for ourselves so we're going to destroy everybody on earth and then that's when the x-men are like well that's not going to happen um the movie itself, to me, was just a little slow. Like, I, I, I understand what they were trying to do, but you're also making an X-Men movie, and you needed to have a quicker pace. You need more to be happening. I remember looking at my watch about an hour in, I was like, God, there's, a little, there's another hour of this movie. But I did like it. There are parts that I really liked. There, are, there are, There's a scene on a train that's just amazing to look at. So, whether or not... I feel like they they kept pretty close to the, the story beats. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot closer than what we saw with X Men Three: Last Stand, which I like. Don't get me wrong, I like that movie, and I know I'm I'm in the minority. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's there's that. There's there's a little mini review for you of uh, X Men: Dark Phoenix. 
No, I think you're right. I think they did a good job of definitely curtailing to it because they, they wanted to keep those themes because as we look at uh, part two, issue 130, that's the first appearance of Dazzler. And I know they made a point to like, hey, let's get her in there. I feel bad for the actress because it's like, cool, I get to play Dazzler. And it's like, oh, this is my one and only. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, and I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize the actress that was playing her. They don't really focus on her face, but they, they the scene of her singing and, and manipulating the light is, is, is beautiful. Now, did they keep it disco? Yeah. Oh, she has the disco outfit. Nice, well played. All right. I mean, no roller skates, but oh, it's all the disco nah, outfit. That's that's cool. I'll take it. Uh, let's see. Part three has the big cover with the White Queen towering over the X Men in their cages and stuff like that. And yeah, as Rafa mentioned earlier, that scene was huge. Uh, just because, yeah, she stripped the X Men of everything. She's like, I know Storm is a great lockpick thief, so I don't even want her having any chance of trying to get out. Um, she like. Oh, I do know that actress. Sorry. Oh, no, you found out who Yeah, was, it's uh, Halston, Halston Sage, uh, I think is what... Yeah, Sage. She was on uh, the first and part of the second season of the the Orville with uh, oh, Seth MacFarlane. So, nice. Sorry. No, it's cool. She's got a space connection. So there you works. go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, but when White Queen did that, and I tell you, I love that issue, issue 131, um, because if I remember correctly here... Um, this is the one where, like, it's funny. The Phoenix would have been totally cool, except for the Hellfire Club, because they took her, they seduced her, they they gave her raw power and emotion, and the space creature is just like, this is amazing. Like, I'm just gonna revel in. How do they say it on Parks and Recs? Treat yourself. Treat yourself. You know? yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm gonna treat myself. I'm gonna eat a planet. So essentially, know? that's Jessica Chastain's alien people are yeah. take the place of both the Shi'ar and the Hellfire Club in yeah. the movie. Yeah, she's gonna justify that part of it. Um, but yeah, and I, I just thought this was huge because this issue, I think if I remember correctly, this is the one where Cyclops and Jason Wingard have that mental duel. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh, yep. and that was the, the sword fight. Sexy. Yeah, no, that was crazy. And again, like I said, the animated series, they did a great uh, adaptation of that. I thought that was so cool. And they, you know, just when you see that moment when Cyclops falls and you're like, oh shit, because he's going to be the guy who could save Gene. And he's done. So that really took all hope out. Um, issue 132 then comes along, and we see that the Hellfire Club is massively big. And this is the one, actually, this is the issue where we get all of them. Sebastian Saw, Donald Pierce, and Henry, or sorry, Harry Leland. So we get to finally start seeing the Kings and the Rooks, uh, the black side of the chessboard. And that was huge. I mean, meeting those characters. Uh, Sebastian Shaw, I love him. I think he's a great villain. I'm totally cool with Kevin Bacon having played him. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, just because, like, Magneto is like, we're going to save the mutants so that they're not at the bottom of the food chain. Xavier is like, no, we're going to save the mutants because I want to preach coexistence. Sebastian Shaw is like, fuck everyone. I want to make money. Yeah. And that's crazy because he doesn't care. You know, if you're a mutant, who cares? Like, he is on level of villainy. Like, could you imagine if Shaw and Mystique got together? Oh, like we like yeah like and not, and not only is he a powerful villain i mean not only is he a good villain but his power set is great mm-hmm. like that i mean whereas you punch the guy you make him better yeah, yeah. he's yeah. stronger that that kinetic energy it's that it's was amazing. like a that, i mean because that's also bishop's power isn't it like it's kind of yeah like you, you hit him or you shoot energy blast at him and he, he can recharge it, it and go yeah. Ooh, there you go there's a fight sebastian shaw versus bishop holy see shit. i'd like that because all that we'd see is just sebastian like oh you think you can take me you cretin he just kind of crunches his knuckles takes off his jacket he's got his like little hair and his little ponytail things uh-huh. he's like let's do this and he's just ready for a gentleman's duel <laughs> yeah i really 
like the design of Sebastian Shaw. No, I love that. I love that the Hellfire Club, yeah, they wear that like Victorian England, very uh, the clothing like mm-hmm. that. It's like, wow, you little S&M weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Then we move along to issue 133, and that has the famous one, Wolverine on the cover fighting all those uh, Hellfire drones, and we, we get to see that they're actually people inside. But this issue was also big because this one – whether you know it's from the Dark Phoenix saga or not, I think it's like the second page or the last page, but that's the one that has Wolverine in the sewer and he pops those claws and he's looking right at you. That is that, that book right there. That's what made Wolverine that we know. Because oh, nice. at that point, it's like, I'm, I think he even says it for the first time there too. I'm the best there is at what I do. Nice. Like that now, just bam. That's <laughs> also interesting because this is the first X-Men movie in all of, that's Fox true. That yeah. doesn't have Hugh Jackman. Yeah, it's true. Because even he's even he even shows up in first class pseudo cameos in the Deadpool movies. So yeah. I'm surprised I didn't have something there. There's not. There, he's not, he's not a word to be seen. This is the first X Men movie without Wolverine, Wolverine or Hugh Jackman. Wow, that's kind of. I mean, stopping and reflecting for a moment, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Because, I mean, regardless of what you say about the Fox X-Men films, like, I'm not a fan of them. I'll put it out there. But regardless of that, we wouldn't have the MCU without them. No. We wouldn't have no. a lot of things without those movies, you know? And a lot of credit goes to Blade as well. I, I've never watched them, but I, I respect the past. And it's crazy to think about that. Yeah, it's like every X-Men film has had Hugh Jackman in some way. And this is the final one, the last one. And, and he wasn't in. Him. Yeah. I mean, hell, they should have at least, like, I get it. He's probably like, look, dude, I've, I haven't kept my physique up. But they could have at least had something like maybe like, oh, and here comes the famous actor Hugh Jackman coming over <laughs> to the Hellfire Club. Like, that would have been cool. Like, give him a walk-on cameo at some point. Like, they, wow, that's... They could have had something. Yeah, yeah. that's a damn that's shame. That's unfortunate. Because I get it. You don't want, like, the way they've done the timeline, it would be rough to be like, well, how does... Wolverine helped them with the Dark Phoenix saga, but then he doesn't know them when he meets them. Whatever. No, he you took a bullet have, to the head. You, you know? just have something in the background. Yeah, it doesn't... It, it nearly... Literally, that's the timeline that's already messed up because of Days of Future Past, so... Yeah, so you, who cares? You could change shit all you want. I mean, Jean dies at the end of the movie. Sorry. No, but, that's okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, she she's not going to show up in 2002 being... From that cage. Jansen Pumpkin, Pumpkin yeah. or... Pumpkin Jamson, yeah, whatever her name is. However you pronounce it. Beautiful, beautiful name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so, yeah. So, we have that. Um, then issue 134 is crazy. Why? Because we finally get Jean as the Black Queen. So, that's where you see her in that bustier and the cape and the hair and the bun and holy shit. Looking sexy as hell. Yeah. White queens, red, black queens, and then Madeline becomes a red queen, right? No, she becomes the Goblin Queen. The Goblin Queen. Yeah. Isn't there a Red Queen, though? I think somewhere there there was something for like a storyline. Or maybe if I'm thinking probably that would have been. Did you read uh, when Greg Land was artist on Uncanny X-Men? Greg Land, yeah. Karen Galleon. Yeah, so yeah. I, think he, I think they nicknamed her Red Queen when oh, they did that. Okay. When she was going around and getting her own like evil X-Women team. Got it. Yeah, that's probably where that comes from. But no, but at that point, yeah, Jean is the Black Queen. So this is this is creating some jealousy in Emma Frost because Emma was like, I'm your sexy telepath. I'm your go-to. And it's like, no, fuck you. This woman's got cosmic ability. <laughs> so yeah, so some crazy stuff there. Uh, beautiful cover because again, you have the X-Men squaring off against the Hellfire Club. You know, Black Queen in the middle, you know, just making the antagonizing efforts here. Um, issue 135 comes along and this one was a cool one because this is where John Byrne really starts playing with comics 
So this issue is the one that shows all the X-Men defeated on the ground and Phoenix rising up above and actually crushing the logo. No comic before that really interacted with the logo at all. So that one set a huge precedent like, oh, shit, let's do some cool stuff. Yeah. Even on the trade paperback, that's the famous issue or the, the famous uh, image that image, they always yeah. use for that one. That's how, how crazed she looks in it, too. Yeah. Well, and this is great because if I do remember correctly, yeah, this is where she goes into space and she does. She eats a planet. Is this where she literally ruins Jason Wingham's life, right? I think like she either, just transcends him into nothingness. Yeah, it's either it's either issue 134 or 135. It's one of those one of these two and it's like yeah, it's, she's like you son of a bitch, you know, like you did this to me. All right, and she shows him all of infinity and he just like melts like good. <laughs> yeah, no, and I thought I thought that was such a cool punishment. Oh yeah. You know, like it was like you know, just like, "Oh, you thought you had hold over me?" Fuck that. I was just riding this wave just because I could. Yeah. Um, And then now we come to the big issues. So we're getting to the conclusion. So issue 136. So that's the famous one with Scott Summers um, holding Jean Grey in his arms, screaming up. Uh, That, again, was another pose that got mimicked several times. Um, I know a lot of people try to take uh, the death of Supergirl and they try to, you know, say like, oh, the body language is very much there as well. I don't know. I I see him differently. But again, the president Mm. is definitely there. But yeah, this was huge. Um, At this point, you know, Lalandra and the Shi'ar Empire have been notified that some of their uh, agents have been killed along with the Dabari solar system or empire, whatever that is, those weird little broccoli people. Um, And so it's like, yeah, we got to we got to punish her for this. But the X-Men are like, fuck it. We got this. So they they single handedly take down the Phoenix. A beast had a great moment in this one. He, he built that dampener and they put it on her head so Xavier could get in there and, you know, basically put some uh, mental circuit breakers on her and, and get her at peace. And they do it like the X-Men are actually successful. They've stopped this cosmic being. And then what happens? Here comes the the Shi'ar Empire. They're like, we're going to fuck your stuff up. <laughs> And it's like, man, that's crazy. I, I'll admit I was so happy. I finally I finally scored a copy of this comic. Um, one of my favorite ones in my collection there. And then it comes down to the pulse-pounding conclusion, issue 137. This cover's been mimicked a lot of times. We recently just saw it in the uh, uh, exterminated or extermination miniseries. So Scott and Gene embracing each other on the blue area of the moon as they fight for their lives. And you know, the bottom of it, Phoenix must die. And then I always loved at the top because it had that... Uh, that little ad there where it's like this Marvel comic could be worth $25,000 to you. Wow. Uh, It was just, yeah, so cheesy, the gimmicks at the time, but man, that issue, it's so huge. It is 1980. Yeah. This is uh, September of 1980. This book was insane. The fate of the Phoenix. Um, And and you, you're meaning to tell me that Gene doesn't come back to life until 2017. No, 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 no. No, Jean, she was brought back in the X-Factor stuff. Oh, okay. So whenever X-Factor number one came, I want to say like 19, I think she was dead like four years. Oh. Like everybody always, they, they mix the timeline and stuff like that. Like the Jean Grey that you read in Jim Lee's era of X-Men, that was Jean Grey. Okay. Uh, the Grant Morrison stuff, that was Jean Grey. The only time it wasn't Jean per se would probably be this stuff, the Phoenix saga, because it's actually supposed to be the Phoenix now. You know? Yeah, so the way that they set it up is... When Jean, when they find the Phoenix the first time, like Franny was talking about at the beginning, right? Uh-huh. They, they've, they've, the ship falls in the Jamaica Harbor, whatever. What happens is Jean is cocooned and she's at the bottom of the harbor. That's Jean's actual form. The Phoenix 
takes Jean's form and basically uses her as a lens to exist. So the Jean Grey that goes dark Phoenix and destroys the planet is not and dies Jean. is not technically Jean. It is, but it's not. Okay. So what happens is then Jean wakes up and then that's where X Factor comes in. So Jean is back, but Jean is so she she did that but technically not really. It was a way for the editors to go around to say like, "Oh, we can we can have her back." But in a way where she didn't directly cause the death of billions of people. Yeah, exactly. That was a mandate that Jim Starlin had. He's like, look, if you're going to try to bring her back, then you have to find a way to exonerate her of her crimes. And luckily, Kurt Busiek was like, well, then, yeah. And I like how you use that. It so was then lens. where does she go before New X-Men happens? So, well, uh, so let's see. So Jean goes into space. She gets burnt to a crisp, put into the, the, the healing cocoon at the Jamaica Bay. Um she comes back like there's a great story and it's, it's a really neat trade. Uh, I forget what it's titled, but it's basically these two stories lead up to X factor. So Avengers issue 263, which was released in January of 86. So actually she was gone for six years. Okay. She was gone for six years. So the Avengers find the cocoon and they're like, what the fuck is this? It's radiating power. It's incredible. So then this book crosses over to Fantastic Four issue 286. And this was neat because John Byrne gets to draw it. And this this is kind of what put some angst between Byrne and Claremont because Claremont's like, because he doesn't want this story to happen. It's like, now you're killing the whole Phoenix. You're killing the mythology. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, actually, no, I apologize. And then and, and this is a crazy, well, I know it put a rift in them, but Chris Claremont and John Byrne are credited as the writers of that issue of Fantastic Four 286. So I guess, again, it's more your boss coming in and telling you, like, all right, remember that ending you wanted? We'll give it to you after we fuck everything up. Yeah, um, and that's really what they did. I mean, ultimately, well, Gene is sleeping, right? The X yeah. go off. Cyclops leaves. They go off. They fight the brood. Things happen. Six years, whatever. Gene comes back after the Avengers. Yeah. And then that has Cyclops leave the family that he's created. But in order to not make Cyclops look like a complete piece of shit for leaving his family, his wife, Madeline, and his children, it's showcased that she was created by Sinister with gene DNA, but goblin DNA to create this evil person. And so it's just, again, it's all retconning, trying to make yeah, it. It's, like they were flying by the seat of their pants as Got they it. made this stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, basically once because, yeah, fan, so Avengers and then Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four, the cocoon opens, and then they create the new book X-Men, or sorry, X-Factor. And so, yeah, that's when, you know, Reed Richards is like, hey, Angel, uh, we found Gene Gray. And then Angel's like, fuck. So he calls Scott, and Scott doesn't even tell his wife. He just hangs up the phone and leaves. Dick move. Um, and there was. There was a lot of fan reaction where they were like, why would Cyclops do that? You know, he leaves Madeline and baby Nathan. And then, yeah, as they as they continue on, it's like, hey, let's just make Madeline the bad guy. This way everybody will like her. But, yeah, pretty much from 1986, uh, Fantastic Four. Or, sorry, X-Factor Volume 1, Issue 1, February of 86. That has been Jean Grey as you've known her. Okay. So she only had about, you know, a s- from 1980 to 1986, Jean Grey was gone, as we knew. Uh, and then she's always been that until Grant Morrison killed her in the new X-Men book. And, and then, then, gosh. And then she was gone for many, like, many Yeah, years. about 15 years yeah, there. So okay, that's, that's where what the, I was wondering. Yeah, the big long standing death happened. When Zorn Magneto. Oh, yeah, Zornito. Zornito. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the stakes of this. So, I mean, this is one of the big... X-Men cosmic events, right? A group of characters that people love because of their angst. And going back and reading this, you know, it, it showcases just how wordy it is. Chris Claremont, he's telling a story yeah. with pictures. I, I remember, like, 
thinking of what I'm reading today versus what I'm reading back then. Oh yeah, and just thinking of like, oh, there's like paragraphs in this that I have to kind of wade through, and there's so much nuance in it, and so much that you can read from it, and how you know they built this huge event up and to ultimately kill Gene, but then to go, okay, so what do we do from here? So they kind of retcon so much of it, and I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about these comic books, right? It we 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 put ourselves we paint ourselves into a corner and then something <laughs> big happens and then okay so how do we come back from this yeah and you know what for me being a comic book fan you have to be able to to take things at certain levels right and so for me going back and you know, the way they retcon certain things i liked it because for me the phoenix the dark phoenix saga was very important for so many different reasons one it allowed for you know the, the, the new coming of the new X-Men with Scott leaving and so Storm is leading the team. Yeah. We have these new villains that come by. We have this idea of this crazy force that is cosmic in nature and destroys and becomes such a big piece of the X-Men for years to come. And so I think it opened up a lot of doors, but it also opened up a lot of can of worms. Oh, yeah. And they try to do their best to close some of those cans, but, I mean, it, it gave us to where we to where we got, and I think that's what's important. Well, and I love it, too, because, like you said, I like that analogy where it's like you, you paint yourself into – you paint your ending which puts you in a corner and i think that's what's neat is the creativity of people to come back and change it because like when i think of the seduction of the phoenix to gene gray i link it back to hal jordan in the possession of parallax and it's crazy because it's like i mean you know somebody will come along and change stuff you know i mean hell you had neil adams and i don't know who was a writer but they came in and they did that first x-men miniseries it was like yeah wolverine and Sabretooth. they were the founders of the x-men it's like yeah you know you get to pick and chick pick and choose what is bullshit and what is continuity and that's what's really neat about it and so yeah i mean like this storyline like if you're a fan of gene gray yeah read it because it's beautiful it, it it shows that the only reason the phoenix was a redemptive being in the end was because of the love and compassion of gene gray and that's a huge boon to her like wow that speaks mega volumes um then you've got you know her return in x factor which was huge and then you've seen her go on in so many incredible great stories and yeah i mean that's what's beautiful about the x-men it's all the craziness it takes them to outer space it takes them to the future it takes them to the past it's all just crazy mind fuckery but it's beautiful stuff you know it's fantastic stuff so one of the things they did in the movie um they the beginning of the movie starts off with Jean probably around seven years old in the back seat of her parents car oh yeah, yeah. her mother and her daughter her mother and her father are in the front seat mother's listening to a radio station Jean's like look can you change the radio station i don't like the song and her mom's like ah after the song and she's like you said that two songs ago and she says well don't, don't be a little she doesn't say don't be a little brat but she's just like it, it's gonna we'll change it don't worry and Jean, like in her head, is just like going a little nuts. Like her powers are sent, essentially manifesting. The yeah. dial changes on it on on them. They they look around. They're like, "What'd you do?" And she's like, "I'm back here. I didn't do anything." And then she turns it. Her mom turns it back. She once again changes it. Like changes it with her mental powers. And then uh, she's going a little bit more crazy as everybody's kind of yelling. And then she says, "Quiet." And the car veers into oncoming traffic, slams into a truck. Both her parents die. Now, uh, you get skip to the future. There is a point where this is after when, or skip to the present, I should say. She gets the Phoenix Force in her, and she's sleeping, and she hears a voice as she's sleeping, and she and the voice says, uh, "Table for one, please." And she's like, "That's my father's voice." And then she goes to see Xavier, and Xavier's like, "Look, and I, I kind of I did something to help you cope." with what had happened and stuff like that. And, uh, 
so she goes to find her father who's alive and her father that had given her to Xavier just like wow. I don't want you like you you killed my wife I you, you my family died that day so please take Jean to go away and then Holy cow. so so Jean knows that her father lived but Xavier put it in her mind that he died that he day died too. that day too um that's kind of what sets her over the over the edge of accepting Phoenix Force to be like hey I'm okay with whatever what we do at this point. Any of that basis in the comic book? No. I was going to say, because I know in the more recent comic X-Men stuff, I've seen Rachel go live with the, the Gray family. The Grays, yeah. yeah. So Because yeah, they even had that beautiful, it's such a heartbreaker story, but uh, the, the end of Grays. Yeah, and that was the when Shiar the Shiar come back and they they try to destroy the Gray family line. Mm. Yeah, because they're like, oh, if there's no more Grays, then there will be no chance of the Phoenix existing. Huge, huge storyline, but no, the, the the Gray family, uh, John and Elaine Gray, they've been fantastic. I mean, they they definitely they they adopted Scott as well. They still cared for him even after Gene's passing. Gene's um, uh, sister, I want to say Sarah, I think it is Sarah Gray. You know, she was still a part of the books, and then there were the two children that Sarah had. Um, amazing stuff there, but this is wild. Like, yeah, this is all new stuff, but I like it because it, that that explains the Hellfire Club. That's the catalyst that pushes her into like. You know what? Everybody else, you've all been selfish pricks doing what you want. Now it's my turn. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense, and and that's totally an Xavier thing to do. It is, he is a it very much like is. Yeah. Like, he, uh, does, he does do that. You know, I don't want you to remember that time I farted. So you know, here goes six years of your life. You'll uh-huh. pretend to die like four times in a yeah. year, and like, oh no, he's yeah. dead. Like, oh, just I just needed a break, guys. Yeah. I'm back. <laughs> and you know, really look at the the X Men saga. Xavier's the villain. <laughs> so. There, that's the the whole Dark Phoenix saga. Well, two things I want to point oh, out real sorry. quick. Sorry. So if you, uh, like we said, issue 137 was the conclusion happens. Gene dies on the moon. Um, now, if you're collecting issues, most of the time the trade includes this one, and I would definitely point it out to you. Uncanny X-Men issue 138 as well, and that's the one with the X-Men, or sorry, the Exit Cyclops issue. It's the one where he's carrying the duffel bag and walking out. Um, that one was huge because it has, it's it's a eulogy. You know, it, it just has all this amusing stuff, and it was huge, and it, it basically has Cyclops professing his love and and everything for gene and that's definitely that's the real conclusion of the dark phoenix saga and you see cyclops leave um and there's one other book that we put out there and this is going to be so random but it makes for some great comic book reading um marvel comics presents well marvel and dc comics presents the uncanny x-men and the teen and the all-new teen titans so they did their their third crossover no sorry their fourth crossover Fifth time they worked together. And so they managed to take their two biggest selling properties, the Uncanny X-Men and the New Teen Titans, and have them team up. And that book is huge. Why? Because that's the first time we see a resurrected Phoenix. Because in these crossovers, it doesn't matter how DC and Marvel get together. There was no access. It just happens. Darkseid learns about the Phoenix. So he resurrects it so he could take the power thinking he'll be all powerful. Uh, that book brought back the new gods as well. Uh, because they were kind of in limbo since Jack Kirby wasn't working with them anymore. And that book was the, it's like one of Deathstroke, the Terminator's early appearances. And he's actually like, this is the first time he's a badass. Wow. So he takes on the X-Men. He holds his own against Wolverine. That's crazy. And it's just crazy. And it's a great crossover. So I'd highly recommend that. So yeah, definitely go out, get the Dark Phoenix trade. Uh, make sure it's it goes all the way up to issue 138. Uh, find a way to get this X-Men New Teen Titan crossover. Uh, it's a shame because there was supposed to be a sequel. So this one was handled more by Marvel Comics. So it's written by Chris Claremont. So it's got all that good love in there. And um, Walt Simonson was the artist of it. And he's very much known for his Thor art. The second volume would have 
have been Marv Wolfman and George Perez. But unfortunately, Jim Starlin, who's the real Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix, <laughs> he broke a lot of things between them. And then definitely, I want to say it's Phoenix Rising is what the trade paperback's called, and that brings Jean Grey back to life, where she even learns about the Phoenix Saga as well. Okay. Uh like I said, there, that's that's the Dark Phoenix saga as it was written in the 1980. Um, anything else the big to come out of that that you want to talk about? I would say I think that the big stuff that came out of it was um, all the space that it brought to X-Men. Because I remember when I was younger, I don't know, maybe it was because of the cartoon. I didn't like the X-Men in space. I didn't care for it. But then as I got older and I started to appreciate it more and I really thought it was neat because it's like, the X-Men definitely is like a, a, a growth mindset comic book. And it's like how exciting that it went from, you know, the five teens to the international X-Men and to beyond. And I just think that's so neat because when you read that book, I mean, Warlock, he's a member of the X-Men team, but he's an alien and it doesn't matter. It's just all about like people that are banding together to do the right thing. So I think that just that blew it up there. And the Dark Phoenix saga is great. Why? Because, you know, what's the old saying? Power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts. Absolute. Mm -hmm. And it definitely I mean, as much as I disagree with some of the stuff Shooter thought of, I do think the way they ended the Dark Phoenix saga, I think it's great. Like I, I do think with Gene's passing, it makes it that much more powerful. And I think it was one of those comics where, I mean, I hate to think that Gene would be a catalyst for anything because Gene, the character herself, is valid, has a lot of great things. But her death was a big, a big growing point for Scott and who he would become later to ultimately becoming the mutant, not Messiah, but the mutant leader that got them through the House of M. Like. Yeah. It's this event. It's the event that he goes through with, you know, abandoning Madeline. It's the event that then goes into what happens during New X Men, him being absorbed by Apocalypse. It's these things that, you know, go from Scott is the Boy Scout who is is the idealistic one that ultimately he is broken down piece by piece by piece. This is an essential piece because he sees the woman that he loves die in front of him. And I think that's very important to who he becomes as a character for the later stories. And without that, I don't think we get what we need. That's true. That's true. That death of Gene definitely, that showed Cyclops. I think that opened up his eyes to a lot of like being an X-Men will involve a lot of sacrifice. Um, Again, you've seen the movie. Uh, it sounds like it was... It's a good popcorn flick. I think that's a good way to recommend it. Uh, if you want to watch it in other variations, like I mentioned, the uh, the animated series, the X-Men of the 90s, they had a five-part Phoenix saga. Uh, if you still have your VHS, you can go out there and find the VHS tape. Uh, they do have it available on DVD. The Unfortunately, and this is a sad one, X-Men Evolution, I know a lot of people kind of either love the show or hate the show. I think it's great because to me it kind of it goes along with that Young Justice cartoon where it's just like, let's take these characters and put an alternate take on them. Mm -hmm. So if there was going to be a season five, it would have been dedicated to the Dark Phoenix saga. Makes sense. Uh, so they do have an episode called Power Surge. I don't know what season it is, but that definitely shows Jean getting her power. So kind of mini Phoenix saga. And then in the short lived Wolverine and the X-Men, uh, the third cartoon and the last cartoon, uh, they actually had a, uh, a three part season finale called foresight. And it deals with the hellfire club taking gene. And, 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 and we do see a mini Phoenix saga there as well. So that was some wild stuff. Now have, has any of the parts that I've said from the movie today made you either one of you more interested less interested or about the same interested in seeing the movie 
I definitely think I'm, I am more interested in seeing it. Like seeing, like I, I read that in a different article, but the whole like Cyclops telling Magneto to like, I will fucking kill you. Right. Like that sounds cool. Um, I like the Jessica Chastain stuff. I think is kind of neat or Chastain. I don't Chastain. know. Chastain. Uh, I think that part's kind of neat. Like, I mean, who else could it be? I mean, there's not many very other like alien properties out there, but I think it's neat that the Dabari are back and this they get a different way to play into it so mm-hmm. i mean um i i do want to see the fallout for xavier because it's like oh he did another douchey thing so how will the movies end it um i guess just talking about it made me realize that wow this is the end of an era you know that that fox x-men era because um, i remember it took like three days to download the trailer for the to X-Men watch x-men movie, yeah. yeah and so now it's like you know what all right let's go check this out and I don't try being negative. I hate being negative when it comes to movies because I think true. you need to, you know, really watch it before you have an opinion. But I'm just happy that it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I, there have been more bad movies than good movies. And, you know, I feel like from what I've seen in the trailers or from some of the reviews, a lot of people phoned it, phoned it in. And I'm just tired of Jennifer Lawrence. I'm glad that she, she dies, right? Yep. Thank God. Oh, and I want to see it more. See, there's that. But I mean, you know. I after after X Men Apocalypse, I can't I can't do it anymore. I can't. <laughs> okay, uh, there you go, folks. If you have an opinion on the Dark Phoenix Saga movie, comic book wise or TV show, we'd love to hear from you. I'm on Mitch. I am on Twitter as Mitchipedia Gem. Gem is Geek Elite Media. Chris is also on Twitter as uh, Stuff I Should Say Should Being Spelled S H U D. Rafa can be found on Twitter for Mobile Rafi or Entertainment on the Go. That's right. Uh, also, check out his YouTube page. Also, Mobile Rafi, where I have sweet videos. <laughs> uh, and if you want to get the, hold of the rest of Geekly Media, it's at Geekly Media on Twitter, at Geekly Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geekly Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geekly Media Network. But until next time, this is Imagine If on the Geekly Media Network saying, always remember to geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.